Well, I, uh, I have this friend of mine, really cool guy, I really dig him. He's a bartender, uh, and he's not a Christian, um, but I, I just kind of pick his brain every once in a while, just kind of get a feel for uh, maybe how uh, non-believing people see believing people, right? Because I think that's really valuable because it's really easy for us as Christians to sort of have these caricatures of non-believers, and I think it's very easy for non-believers to have a caricature of us as Christians. And so this was right around the election season, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to ask him, like, hey man, how do you see us as evangelical Christians? What's your perspective? We have a good relationship, it's very friendly, it's banter and that kind of thing. And so I thought I would just put it out on the bar, literally, uh, what do you think of us as evangelicals? And he, he kind of stepped back, and he's like, oh, you're a good guy. I, go, I don't just mean me, I, you know, I mean just evangelicals. And he's like, and he leans up on the bar, and he's like, really? You know, like... I have permission, you know, and, and I'm like, yeah, I want to know, and he goes, oh, and he just slaps the bar, and he goes, let me tell you, you evangelicals, man, you're always pushing your agenda, you're always ramming your morality down everybody's throat, you act as though you have all of the answers, and nobody else knows anything, and your way is the only way, and he goes, like, don't get me wrong, I love spirituality, but this orthodoxy in religion, it's tired, it's been done, it's narrow, and he just goes off on this whole thing, you know, and I'm like, no, tell me what you really think, you know, like, like, all right, you know, apparently you have pretty strong opinions about this topic, right? And so he shares all of that, and what I realized listening to him is that at the core, what he envisions in his mind for what an evangelical is, what he's come in contact with, is what I call bullhorn Christianity, right? This is the way he understands evangelicals. And so when he thinks about an evangelical, he just pictures a person on a street corner, all you sinners, all you harlots, all you evil people, repent or burn, right? Like, that, that's how he sees it. You know, just sinner, 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 right? That's, that's his understanding uh, of evangelicals. And I get it because, again, you know, there are times where you hear voices out there and they just kind of do their thing. It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You know, like, like that one, right? I mean, we just, it's just what we say, you know? From the goo to the zoo to you is dumb. Um, you know, we've had those in our past. And, and this is the way my friend sees evangelicalism, sees Christianity, sees it as a bullhorn Christianity. And so for him, he goes, man, that, that's, that's just... That's just a big turnoff for what you people are all about, right? Because you think you have it all solved and all figured out. And in his opinion, we really don't. And so if you took his whole assessment and you boiled it down to its raw essence, what he would say, looking at Christians, is he says, what you all are, are dogmatic. You're dogmatic. And I can't stand your dogmatism. Right? That's, that's his assessment. And I don't know about you, but I know as an evangelical Christian that that word dogmatic or dogmatism, I mean, I, as soon as it's accused toward me, I, I'm like, man, that's a word of derision. Right? That's like the scarlet D, 
you know, on your sport coat, you know, where you're like, no, I, I don't want to be dogmatic. It's the label that every Christian fears. It's like, as soon as it's applied to us, we're suddenly like, oh, no, wait, no, I'm not dogmatic, I'm not this, I'm not that. And so we get really nervous about the label, or about the word. And here's what's interesting about this. Satan knows we get nervous about that label. He knows that modern evangelicalism, current trends and in American evangelicalism, man, we get really freaked out if that gets applied to us. And so what Satan does is he preaches another sermon directly to Christians, directly to evangelicals, and his sermon is simple. He wants us to know and believe and feel and respond under this idea that says dogmatism repels people. He wants us to hear don't be dogmatic. This dogmatism will turn people off. And right now you're going, uh, it does. How is that Satan's sermon? Well, what he wants to do is burn this in so that what we begin to do is say, um, I, 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 I'm not going to be dogmatic. And by that, that may mean I don't sound like I have a lot of conviction about this book or truth or Jesus being the only way. I, I, I'm not going to come across real firm on that. Because I want to reach people where they're at. And if they're freaked out by conviction, then, then I need to back up a little bit on that, that line of conviction. If dogmatism freaks them out, then I don't want to look as though I am dogmatic about my faith. And Satan says, yeah, keep, keep playing with that. Keep working with that. Keep being concerned about that. Now, some of you, I probably already lost. You're like, I don't even know what to do with this now. Like, help me. I, I tilt, right? Um, let's play it out. Let's understand kind of where we've come from so we know where to go. And so the first place I want to start is how we have been now for a little while in the American church on a flight from dogmatism. All right, it's just been the flight from dogmatism. Now, don't get me wrong, this is where hopefully the pieces start to come together quickly. Um, historically, maybe in the last 60 years, there's not a question whether evangelicals have been dogmatic in culture the way my bartender friend envisions it. Right? I'm not arguing whether that has been true or not true. I, I believe he's right. I think there has been seasons and times where we as evangelicals have been dogmatic in a way that isn't the dogmatism we should represent. And what we ultimately did is we took certain battles that were the wrong battles and made them the primary battles, right? So that's not to say that those battles had no place and no time to be played out, but they weren't the primary problem. They weren't the ultimate concern, and they certainly didn't fix the ultimate real dilemma, which is sin. They just kind of dealt with the band-aiding of it instead of the real core problem. And so we went to war on these different battles. And the formula that we used was Jesus plus fill-in-your-blank equals Christianity. Now, we didn't mean to say it that way. We really didn't even maybe verbalize it that way. But the way that we contended for certain battles started to make it sound that way. So it might be Jesus plus politics equals Christianity. Or Jesus plus heritage equals Christianity. Or Jesus plus national identity equals Christianity. Or Jesus plus a certain type of morality equals Christianity. And when I say certain type of morality, some of that is in the Bible, but some of that is just stuff we added 
because it's a part of kind of evangelical culture. And so we fought these battles and we were very loud about these battles and we were very certain about these battles and we sent certain people on television and radio to really argue for these battles. And that world that we were trying to reach, her Jesus plus this other stuff, is what real Christianity is all about. And so they listened to all of that and they missed the real big idea. Right? They listened to all of the white noise. They heard all of the other banter. They heard all of the other dogmatism. And they lost the big idea. Right? They missed the big point. And in the process of that, what it also did is it sort of tampered with the reputation of evangelical Christianity within our culture. And it branded us with a label that I know we love. Close-mindedness. Right? So, so suddenly, because we contended for these battles and maybe missed the big idea for the little or battles, our reputation is tarnished, our reputation is close-minded, and from that, it rendered us somewhat ineffective within American culture, which is why we've seen the rise of kind of this post-Christian society that we live in now, right? Because we sort of lost some of the influence factor because we were spending a lot of time on this, or at least were perceived that way, right? I won't say we were fully this, but we certainly got perceived that way, that we were just blowhorn Christians. So we kind of did it in that fashion, right? Now here's what's interesting about this. While that was happening, while Satan was twisting the environment so that evangelicals were seen as a turnoff to culture because of our closed-minded, dogmatic, kind of, unmovable ways he had a secondary agenda coming up on the heels of that right because again remember what his mission is it's chiefly to dilute the church the lost are lost they're already going that direction right that's just it's already got momentum he just sort of nudges it along as it goes so he's going to leverage that to hopefully do something within the context of the church that we begin to lose our effectiveness in a generation and so he used that whole extreme push of they're all dogmatic to try to then dilute us by swinging us to the other side. We kind of learned about this last week. Right? He pushed us to the other end. right? Not by way of a reasoned response, which would be really a wise thing. We, 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 we could have stepped back as evangelicals and said, yeah, okay, we, we were doing some of this, and it was a little over the top, and, and how do we bring it to center? How do we respond to kind of that swing? But, but what the enemy's so good at is causing us to react more than respond. And so the reaction is you snap it back the other direction. So that's what we started to do. Jesus is center, right? That's what we talked about last week. Jesus is center. And, and I'll tell you, center's tough. I was having a great conversation with a gal last week after the message, and she kind of built on the illustration that was used. She goes, well, I know why we like the extreme. She goes, because they seem stable because they're poles, where the middle is very floating and you have to have a lot of faith. You know, I thought, that's a really good assessment. I will call you before I use props. Um, you know, like, you know, like, I got this one going. You got any other tips for it? You know, like, you know, and, and it, was, it was really astute, you know? Because the center is trust, the center is faith, the center is believing the grace of God to work, and not going to extremes. But in this case, uh, we were so concerned about being dogmatic, he swung us to the other side, to where now our whole mission became um, 
I, I, I don't want to be perceived as dogmatic. So before, it was Jesus plus whatever, heritage, certain values, whatever, that made Christianity. Now we swung it, and we said, well, we want to reach people for Jesus. We know that they don't like dogmatism, so now it's Jesus plus, I promise I'm not dogmatic, equals everything. Right? Right? Jesus plus, I'm not pushy. Jesus plus, I'm gingerly with it. Jesus plus, I'm not over the top. Jesus plus, I'm not a Bible thumper. I'm not a holy roller. I'm not one of those wing nuts. Um, you know, like, like, Jesus plus, how do I excuse I don't look too sold out? Right? Because sold out might, might look like that. I, I, I want to make sure I, I look like this right here. All right? That sort of became, in some strange way, our lead-in, our goal, our tool for change, and all of it. And if you break down the, the extreme swing, right? And, and again, I kind of referenced this last week. If, if you go back and look at the last kind of 10 years of evangelicalism, you look at the emergent movement, that's really the evidence of that and how it did play itself out in the evangelical church. And, and what it did, if you break all of it down and you look at the core, what happened was before we were picking kind of the wrong battles, right? Where now we started picking the wrong truces. You know, how, how, do I, how do I make peace with this in culture and how do I make peace with that in culture? And it wasn't so much saying, how do I love it even though it's broken? It was, how do I even excuse its brokenness to receive it? To say it's okay, it's acceptable, it's not a big deal, it's not a sin problem, it doesn't need a gospel solution, right? We just need to play John Lennon and hold hands and call it good. You know, like, like how do, you know, that sort of became sort of the dilemma we faced. See, before we were closed-minded, and ineffective. And, and, and so kind of what we did is we said, so now I'm going to be open-minded, which renders us ineffective. Right? So the enemy loves to swing the pendulum. He loves to push the extremes because, again, it solves his dilemmas. It solves his problem. So before we had an obnoxious nature, at least by way of reputation. But now we have a convictionless nature Right? More and more, you're even going to feel it. You're going to feel at times, like, I, I, I'm an oppressed Christian because culture's saying this now, and it's saying this now, and it's saying this now, and if I say anything, I'm a bigot, and I don't want to have the B on me, much less the D, so I just sort of blend in. Because conviction's going to be hard to come by in our current climate. All of this is what the enemy wanted, right? He says, put on the cultural camouflage. And, and, and kind of blend in. And I don't mean blend in to reach them. It's kind of like blend in so much the way you're trying to reach them is by looking blended in. Right? That's where he wanted to take us. And so that flight from dogmatism is exactly what he preached. He preached to the church, that's right, the world cannot be reached by the dogmatic, so don't be. Don't be dogmatic. And we said, you're right. You're right. I don't want to be dogmatic. Now, here's the reason Satan hates dogmatism. This is why he will preach dogmatism repels. It's because the last thing he wants to see roaming the city of Duval or any place you live, the last thing he wants to see is Christians and a church so compelled, so sold out, so certain, so positive, so on fire, that it says with great boldness, I'm positive it's true. He doesn't want that. 
He wants you to be afraid to say that because you'll be called a bigot or you'll be called some other name. You'll be seen as dogmatic. And he says, I don't need that trouble because when they really believe it and they're really committed to it and they're really positive about it, oh man, something called revival breaks out. I don't want that. I don't want that. So how do I distract them with them worrying more about their own reputation or their own concerns or their own perceptions in the hopes of reaching people by not being terribly committed in their appearance? See, that's, that's what he's looking for. Right? That, that's why he says, oh, don't forget church, dogmatism repels. Don't be dogmatic, you'll never reach anybody. Dogmatic people turn people off. Now again, we're going to see that some dogmatism does. It's totally true. Right? Some dogmatism is a problem. But if we really honestly look at the Bible, as we're going to see, we're going to hit a bunch of verses in rapid succession. All we're going to see is that what he really doesn't want to see happen with us, what he doesn't want to have happen to the evangelical church, is a return to dogmatism. He just doesn't want it, Right? Now again, he doesn't mind if we keep around the failed dogmatism of Jesus plus something equals Christianity. He's cool with that. See, like, like Paul, he, he knew that it was Jesus plus nothing equals Christianity. So when he would walk into a city like Corinth, or Ephesus, that was no different than our city, right? Lots of idolatry, lots of sexual morality, lots of greed, all of that. When Paul would walk into those cities and see all those problems in this culture, Paul says, I did one thing. I was striving, above all else, to preach one thing. Jesus and Him crucified. That's it. Jesus plus nothing equaled everything for Paul. Right? Until a person comes to life in Christ, all that other stuff isn't going to matter. Heritage, identity, values, morality, you name it, won't matter without Jesus. So Paul knew, I just preach Jesus. Now, when you get that ugly, old, closed-minded, open-mouthed dogmatism that's just about the other stuff more than Jesus, or Jesus is just a poster child to our other agendas, yeah, that's a destructive dogmatism. Satan says, oh yeah, fan that. woo that's awesome. But that's not our season now. That was our season at one point. Now we're in another season. The new season is, we're so afraid of being perceived like that, that we fear even the hint of dogmatism, right? But if you think about dogmatism in the right way, it was dogmatism that the book of Acts said turned the world upside down. It turned the world upside down. It was dogmatism that transformed cowards and criminals and the least of these to expand the kingdom through the gospel. That's what it was. It was that dogmatism that took enemies and made them friends. It was that dogmatism that took an empire against the church and made it the faith of the empire. Right? That dogmatism is the dogmatism that the church needs to embrace again. Believing that this is true. Believing that God is on the move. And believing that the gospel changes things. Right? It's that dogmatism we're talking about. Now, to get to that, we have to sort of embrace, first of all, just the word dogma. Dogma, right? We need to make sure that we as Christians say there is dogma and we do embrace it and it is good. In fact, here is your definition of dogma 
Dogma is a settled or established opinion, belief, or principle. So, when I looked this up in the dictionary, one of the examples was a scientific example. The classic dogma of objectivity in scientific observation. So, when somebody says dogma, and they're talking about this idea of believing that you should have kind of objective observation in science, they're not saying, like, just some basic opinion that may or may not be accurate. They're saying, no, this is a principle. We agree on this principle. This is something that, you know, you can't prove that objectivity in science is the right way, but as best as we know, that's the right way. Right? So we go, that is dogma. Right? So you might have scientific dogma, you might have political dogma, you can have social dogma, you can have all kinds of dogma, but certainly we have theological dogma. Right? or creedal dogma, that kind of thing. And, and that definition is maybe outlined like this, an official system of principles or tenets concerning faith, morals, or behavior, such as in a church. So for us as Redemption Church, our dogma, this book, right? We say this is an established set of principles. This is the guide to go by. We believe this is God's word given to us. That's, that's our dogma. That's what we believe. And so far, everybody's good. Everybody's good. Even the dictionary's good with this. The dictionary's like, yep, that's, that's a dogma. There's nothing offensive about dogma. It is an agreed-on set of principles or beliefs or opinions. It's tenets concerning faith or science or society or whatever else. Good word. So you would think if we have dogma and you are committed to that dogma, that would make you what? Dogmatic. Or dogmatism. So you'd even think that's probably good to be dogmatic or have dogmatism on a dogma that you believe is the principle to live by. Well, here's where Satan loves to write in the dictionary, right? So dogma's good. Nobody's arguing about dogma. But then you go to dogmatic or dogmatism, and here's how the definition suddenly changes. It is an authoritative, arrogant assertion of unproven or unprovable principles, right? You're like, uh, huh? A positiveness and assertion of opinion, especially when one unwanted or arrogant. So I'm like, wait a minute, so let me get this straight. A minute ago, I was, reading, I was just reading dogma. That seemed good. Now why is it if I believe dogma and contend for dogma, that's bad? Right? And, and, and now here's what's funny. Now if it was um, on the idea of objectivity in science and I was dogmatic about that principle, would I be in trouble? No. Of course not. That's good dogma, therefore that's good dogmatism, believing we should have objectivity and scientific exploration. Be dogmatic about that. If it was about some social engineering, I could be dogmatic about that. That would be okay, that would be acceptable. Suddenly when it comes to faith, when it comes to orthodoxy, the rule totally changes, and this definition is what applies. Oh, if you're talking about the Bible, oh my goodness, that's an arrogant assumption. That is just a bunch of pushing religion on people and down their throat. No, that's bad. Right? So again, that's how Satan plays the game. What he wants us to do, what he wants us to believe, is that even though this is for me, it's still questionable. And therefore, I should be cautious about being too dogmatic about this. Um, I remember a couple of weeks ago, we played a video where they were kind of talking to guys on the street. And, and some, they asked the guy, hey, how do you get to heaven? He goes, well, for me, it's Christianity, but you can be a good Jew and get to heaven. You can be a good Muslim and get to heaven. And he was doing that thing. And what he was saying is, I don't want to be too dogmatic about my faith, so I'm kind of making them all open, but this is the one that I choose. This is the one that's good for me, right? Because I, don't, I, I want to have a dogma without dogmatism, right? And, and, and that's, 
That's kind of where Satan loves us to be. In fact, my bartender friend, we had this discussion, and, and it was kind of akin to that when, when he said, um, man, I love spirituality. I can't stand orthodoxy. Right? Because spirituality is faith without principles. Right? I mean, in the sense of there's, there's nothing objective that is bigger than you that you look at and say, yes, that holds me accountable to this. Spirituality is, I, I like that, and I like that, and I like that, and I like that, and I'm kind of crafting my own book, and it's constantly revised and revised again, because again, I, it's what makes me feel connected into the spiritual netherworld. So it's, it's kind of a dogma without dogma, without conviction. And so it's a great place to float. Satan's fun, fine with us floating in that place. But for the Christian, it has to be different. It has to be different. What, what we need more than anything, I think particularly now in the season uh, of our own culture, is people that, that don't get burned up on all the other Jesus plus things, but that we get on fire for the Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Right? That that is where the enemy does not want us. And that's the place we need to get to. You want to stick it to the devil? That's what you do. Right? You get back to center. That it's all about Jesus. It's not about the other stuff. And it's going to be hard to do that. Because there's going to be times where you're like, but our culture's tipping over. If we don't stop Congress, if we don't stop whatever, it's going to all tip over. And I go, but that's not the solution. Jesus plus nothing is really the solution. It's really the solution. And I know for some of us, no, 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 that's not practical. Right? And I'm like, uh, yeah, the early church, it wasn't practical for them. Boom! Right? They did it. Because it was Jesus plus nothing. That was everything. Right? So we have to get comfortable with the fact that there is dogma, and it is okay for us to be dogmatic about our dogma. Because again, what is dogma? A settled or established opinion or belief or principle. Notice that it says settled. Settled. As a Christian, we said, I believe it's settled. I believe this is the way. I believe this is it. In fact, Paul, writing to the Thessalonians in a tough climate, right? They, they, they were going through persecution. They were being hated for their faith. The earliest known persecution was at the church of Thessalonica, and Paul writes to them in 2 Thessalonians. He says, To this end, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught. Even right there, he says, hold to the traditions, right? That's dogma. And what he's saying is, man, stand up for it. Be proud of it. Don't cave under the pressure of that. It's okay to be dogmatic. It's okay to say when it comes to how we bring the gospel to culture, we're open-handed. But that message of the gospel and that dogma that we believe, that is closed-handed. We hold it tight. We don't let it slip through our fingers. And we certainly don't open up our fingers so we don't look too committed. Right? Right? What the world needs in fact a lot of times what the world even says is give me somebody with some conviction in fact they're doing all these studies right now about all of the kind of like teens early 20 somethings the millennials leaving the church and you know what they're saying as they do all their exit data on all these christians leaving the church they're saying why do i need it it doesn't really have that many convictions anymore 
right? So we've done such a good job of not sounding dogmatic. The younger generation is growing up and saying, I need to go find something that's really sold out for something because I don't find that in my church. I just don't find that in Christianity. So they go find other causes. Notice how cause is a big thing among younger uh, adults. They're looking for cause. They leave the church because the church doesn't have cause to them. So they go and find other causes. This is, again, because whether we like it or not, we were so concerned about our dogmatism, we stopped being dogmatic. And again, I go back to that's what the enemy wants. Right? He doesn't want us dogmatic. He doesn't want us to be really, really uh, sold out that there's truth, that this is really the word. And he doesn't want that because he knows the word changes hearts and souls and lives. He knows that truth is the transformer. He knows that the only real magnet Christianity has that is legitimate to change the person is, is the word is a certainty about the Word. That's the only thing. And so what Satan wants is he wants the church to have a form of godliness but denying its power. Right? That, that, that's what he's looking for. Right? He's looking for us to say, you know, this is what's true for me, but, but I, I don't, I don't want to be too, too aggressive. This is perfect. That's where I want you. See, he, he knows that the greatest nightmare he could experience is the Christian dogmatic. He knows that if that takes hold, it's a game changer. And again, like I said, not that old, closed-minded, open-mouthed, abrasive dogmatism of Jesus plus something equals everything. I, I, I mean that, that dogmatism where the Christian is certain about what they believe. That it's clear-minded about truth. Not open-minded, not closed-minded, clear-minded about truth. Where the Christian is committed to dogma. In fact, Paul wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you again hold fast to the word I preach to you. Right? So he lays it out there, man. Hold fast. Holding fast as a Christian is not elite Christianity, it's just Christianity. He says, unless it's in vain. Right? Hold fast, unless it really doesn't mean that much to you. Don't forget, unless you just got better things to focus on. Be committed, unless you're more concerned about fitting in. Right? See, that's what Paul is reminding us of. And in this, understand, it's not just that we believe a creed or a system or a religious set of values. Our, our, our loyalty, our dogmatism is connected more to a person than a system, right? We're not talking about being dogmatic to just something on paper. We're being dogmatic about a risen, glorious, reigning, kingly Lord. That's what we're dogmatic about. We're dogmatic about a person. This is why in Hebrews 4.14 it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Right? What we're bragging about, what we're excited about, what we're dogmatic about is Jesus. That's why Jesus plus something else screws it up. Because we're not allowed to just brag on Jesus. In fact, sometimes the plus, whatever the fill in the blank is, gets more press, gets more passion, gets more push. 
than Jesus. We'll get more fiery about some subtopic than fiery about grace. Fiery about good news, right? It's because we love Jesus and honor Jesus and follow Jesus that we abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good, as Paul talks about. It's because we love him. I mean, I think about this with my wife, right? Um, I, I dogmatically sing the praises of my wife, right? Whether kids or even here at church or whatever else, I dogmatically do that. Now, do I dogmatically celebrate my wife because she wrote a creed for me that I need to keep? No. I mean, if she did, that'd be cool, but she hasn't done it. Um, I do it because I dig her. I dig her. It isn't that I need the creed or need the code or need the system because it's so much deeper than that. I just love the person. Now, in loving the person, I know all about her, which is why we want the dogma, the creed, and the code, but I don't do it for dogma, creed, and code. I do it because I really dig her and love her. Now, in that, again, I'm dogmatic. I'm not pushy dogmatic. I'm passionate dogmatic, and there's the difference. There's pushy dogmatism there's passionate dogmatism. Passionate dogmatism is, is real, it's kind, and, and, and you want to go where it's going. You know, pushy dogmatism is what it is. And we all have experienced it, we've all seen it, and that's not what God calls us to, not at all. He calls us to a passionate dogmatism. The Christian dogmatic is a passionate Christian. Now, it's not the only part of what's dogmatic for us. We also have a Bible dogmatic, Right? I mean, the Bible is dogmatic. The Bible repeatedly calls itself truth, not having some truths, not holding truthiness. Thank you, Stephen Colbert. Um, it, truth, right? Jesus prays in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus, greatest dogmatist that ever lived. Sanctify them by this book, by your word, for it is truth. Truth changes everything. Jesus changes everything, right? See, truth changes people, which is why Paul says to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now it says rightly handling. Literally, in the original language, it means to cut it straight. And here's Paul, a tent maker. Nobody knows better than a tent maker that you better make sure that all the pieces are cut straight and the pattern's going to fit together right. If you're anybody that works with uh, steel fabrication, you know the importance of making sure all the pieces fit right. If you do any kind of sewing or quilting, you know the importance of making sure the pieces fit right. That's what Paul is saying. We need to cut the word straight. We need to make sure it fits properly. You know what that tells us? It's actually okay to be dogmatic because it's an expectation we get it right expected we cut it straight so it's okay for us to say well this is what it says that doesn't always mean i like it i've said that many times there's things in this book i just don't like i don't like it it wins i lose it wins that's good because we want to cut it straight right the other thing is it means we need to share it say it and communicate it all the parts of it the parts we like and the parts we don't because it keeps us healthy Right, Paul says this to Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. 
just preach the word. Be ready in season. Be ready out of season. Preach the parts of the Bible that nobody wants to hear. Preach the parts of the Bible that everybody loves to hear. Preach the parts where people say, I'm sending an angry email. Preach the parts where people say, that was awesome, amen, and that was too funny. You know, like, whatever. Preach it all, he says. Preach the word in season, out of season. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And there's a reason. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. That might be legalism over gospel, or nationalism over kingdom. It might be open or closed-mindedness over clear-mindedness. doesn't matter what the itching ears have. It will be different in different generations. We'll store them up so we're not centered, but we're polarized. He says that's why you have to preach the full word. Because if they start stashing those teachers away, they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. Myths like dogmatism repels. Where instead of finding discernment in the statement, we'll just run to the extreme. Right? And trust me, a day will come, sooner than later, where the church will say, oh, we've sold out, so what do we need to do? Hate culture! Ah! Right? That's what we're going to do again. Right? I mean, it just, we, we're, we're, it's so hard to stay in the center. It just is. That's why we need grace and humility. But it should be our pursuit. Because the more we embrace the call of truth, the priority of truth, the power of truth, man, things change. Things change, and we become passionate. You see that in the apostles' dogmatic. I mean, you look at the apostles, man. The book of Acts is like a funky book because it is a book of sermons that are hard to hear sermons with a heartfelt heart. Right? So the book of Acts is not absent of dogmatism. The very first sermon Peter preaches is like, hey, the Holy Spirit's been poured out. Your sons and daughters are going to dream, dream, see visions, everything else. Oh, and by the way, you all killed Jesus. You know, like, it's kind of dogmatic. Right? That's what he did. 3,000 get saved. Right? Something powerful about the word. Right? So they preach more. Right? Unless you repent, you're going to perish. Killed Jesus, but Jesus died for you. You need to believe this is just the truth. Some people got really mad. Some people believed. Now, the ones that got really mad, they gathered up the apostles, right? They gathered them up. They're like, oh, wait, we see what's going on. So they kind of throw these guys in the paddy wagon. They take them in. They pistol whip them, and then they kick them out again. And they say, all right, now you're just on probation. Shut up. Don't preach anymore, right? Because your, your dogmatism is infectious, and we don't like it. So what did they do in Acts chapter 4? They prayed. And they said, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Right? It just is what it is, and you're believing that God has the power to use the word to change and save lives. Right? They did not focus on, All right, how do we get a marketing strategy to soften this down so more people will like it? They didn't do that. They just said, Man, we want to preach with boldness. And so they pray. Help us to preach with boldness. It says, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Unstoppable belief. That's dogmatism. 
That is the good kind, right kind, holy kind, special kind, useful kind, kingdom advancing kind of dogmatism that the church is to exercise. And the reason is simple. It's not because they were all stirred up to a, a frenzy as a group. The reason is because they follow Jesus dogmatically. Right? The one we all follow. Man, nobody was more dogmatic than Jesus. It's so weird. I feel like sometimes I'll talk to people that, that don't believe in Jesus, and even some people that do, and they see Jesus as the most diplomatic guy. Like, he was the guy, like, I'm just getting everybody together, man. It was just, it was the man who knocked me down. You know, like, like you know, like, he wasn't divisive somehow, or he wasn't uh, dogmatic. He was just kind of get along Sam, happy and just easygoing. And, and, and then others messed it up. No, Jesus was the guy that rolls in and says, um, there's a heaven, there's a hell. I'm the only way, and there's no other way. Right? There's life and death and good and bad. And man, he, he, it was just two shades, black and white. I mean, Jesus was a dogmatic dude. Totally was, right? In fact, you see the scene in Mark chapter 2. I told you there's going to be a lot of verses, right? So Mark chapter 2 says, And they went to Capernaum. And they immediately, on the Sabbath day, entered the synagogue and was teaching. That's what he was doing. And the people, it says, were astonished at his teaching, for he taught him as one who had authority. Right? That's dogmatism again. This is what is true. This is not true. This is error. This is fact. He had authority. And he had such authority, it says, man, he started casting out demons and everything else, and the people were flipping out. And they're saying, what is this? Right? This new teaching with authority blows their mind. Dogmatism. It says he even commands the unclean spirits and they obey him and his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Again, two points. First, authority. He spoke with authority. And here's the crazy thing that happened. People dug it. Right? It says his fame spread. Again, I keep going back to the enemy wants us to believe that a genuine conviction that what Jesus says is true is the wrong way forward, that will sound too pushy. And, and again, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying like you can walk out of here and go to Estapa and again grab your bullhorn. I don't want that. It's not what I'm advocating. What I'm advocating is just being proud of Jesus. Being legitimately proud of Jesus. Because that's the magnet the magnet everything else is kind of a gimmick or a tool or a lesser hook i'm not saying that the other things that we do have no value but i want to make sure that we realize that they have much lesser value there's a lot of what i call hot dog vendor christianity happening right so it's like hey here's a hot hot dog we, we call it meat what's in it don't ask all right it's hot you know because I don't, I, I want it to be soft for you to chew, and you know, like that kind of, you know. Now the overcorrection is, we need to give them meat, we need to give them steak, and so you give them this like solid iced steak, you know, like frozen, eat it, meat, you know, like it's not what we're doing. We want to give them a nice off the grill. Here's just juicy hot meat. We want to give that, and what that is is, I hold dogma, and I'm so passionate about what I hold. I hold a dogma who is Jesus, and I love. This Jesus that has changed my life. Right? That is the heart in all of this. That is the passion. This dogmatic Jesus 
Because he's dogmatic in person, right? Think about like John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son uh, from the Father, full of grace and truth. He's truth. That's dogmatic. His statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes through the Father but through me. That's a dogmatic truth. Jesus is dogmatic. He is the one that we follow. And let me guarantee you, because Jesus is truth, Satan hates Jesus dogmatic. He hates it. See, there's a weird um, thing that happens in the Gospels. Um, Jesus and truth are synonyms. Right? So you, you'll see them flipped around. Jesus is truth, and truth is Jesus, and, and, and so they're, they're really synonyms. For us, it's kind of hard as Western Christians because we're used to truth being these objective statements, these principles or ideas. It's hard for us to go, oh, wait, truth is a person. But that's exactly the way the Bible communicates it. Truth is a person. It's Jesus. And the reason that Satan hates truth is because Satan hates Jesus. Right? So he wants to undermine the truth, and he doesn't want us to be passionate about the truth because to do so would be to be passionate about Jesus. So he's, he's pushing those boundaries all the time. He especially hates it because Jesus, who is truth, offers what he hates, which is freedom. In fact, we see in John chapter 8, Jesus says to the Jews who had believed him, not believed in him, but they, they were believing some of what he said, and he told them, if you abide in my word or you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right? So this is like a really great statement Jesus makes to these Pharisees, right? Man, if you just abide in my word, you believe me, it's true, it'll set you free. And you know what they instantly do? They get mad. What, you're trying to say we're not free? You know, you're like, well, I'm trying to be an encouragement. Oh, well, you're saying we're not free. We're free. We're, we've never been in a bondage to anybody. And I'm sure Jesus is like, yeah, tell that to the Roman soldiers all behind you. Right? So, like, but they're like, no, we're free. We're free, man. We're free because we are children of Abraham. We are Abraham's offspring, and therefore we are free. And they get into this big debate, and Jesus just finally drops the hammer on them. And he says, all right, here's what you need to know. Verse 44, you, have, you, you are of your father the devil. Which is awesome. They're like, no, 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 my dad's legitimate. He's like, no, 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 your mom is knocking boots with the devil, man. You are not legitimate. You are not legitimate. Right? So he says, you are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And his favorite lie is truth isn't worth fighting for it's good for you it's nice to have it's really important keep it to yourself let it edify you let it encourage you let it be your personal faith that's great but don't be so certain it can change everybody around you because he knows it can change people he seeks to suppress the truth in unrighteousness he seeks to exchange the truth about god for a lie these verses we know when he looks at Christians, he wants them to be swerved from the truth. He wants them to always be learning, but never, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. This is what he writes to, to Timothy as a pastor. Watch out for this. In fact, he even rises up false teachers in the church so that the way of truth will be blasphemed. Right? He does it in little undermining ways. Right? Writers here and speakers there and blogs in this place and whatever. And he just, you know, they all claim... Christendom and they all claim evangelicalism and even if they're undermining truth hey, it's all good because he's getting what he wants to get to and it's for these reasons 
and all the more that what our hearts should be as we sort of wrap up this message this morning is to have a prayer that says, Jesus, I want to be truly, rightly, and biblically dogmatic. To be the dogmatic you. Right? To be the dogmatic you. Now, when I say be the dogmatic you, I want to be clear as we round out. I'm not talking about being preachy. I'm talking about being passionate. I'm not saying be sheepish. It's going to mean you have to be certain. Not being arrogant, but being humble. Not being obnoxious, but being sympathetic. Not getting all loud, but certainly being lucid. Not embarrassed, but emboldened. Not closed-minded or open-minded, but clear-minded and discerning. It's not being out of this world, but for the good of this world. It's not to go fight out on the battlefield, but it's to go and fight for the mission field. Right? That is the dogmatic you that Jesus calls you and I to be. And so what we need to do is to know the truth who is Jesus, to believe the truth who is Jesus, to love the truth who is Jesus, to defend the truth who is Jesus, and to transfer the truth who is Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that when we read you, you are clear. Sometimes we'll look at the Bible and say, oh, there's just things we don't understand. There's things that people debate. There's theologies that we don't agree on, you know, within evangelicalism. And I go, man, I know there's those things, but there's a whole lot of stuff we do agree in. There's a whole lot of things that are true. There's a whole lot of things you were really clear about. And I pray to those things particular, we would be passionately committed that we would not be embarrassed we would not be ashamed we would not be afraid at the same time we would not be just these weird pushy punks but rather we would be truly heartfelt humbled grateful moved people where you are that amazing and that we want you that much and that we want others to know you in that way We love you, we need you, we thank you, Jesus, in your good name. Amen.